Hi, everyone, and welcome to Left to Our Own Devices. I am not Erica Keswin. This is Lindsay Pollock, career and workplace expert and author of four books. We are turning the tables on your host, Erica Keswin, today to talk about her brand new book, Rituals Roadmap, The Human Way to Transform Everyday Routines into Workplace Magic. Erica, welcome to your show. <laughs> Thank you so much. So good to see you. So good to see you. I actually wanted to start, Erica, before we even dive into the book. So many people are fans of yours and your work, but may not know how you got here. So could we start by telling your own career story? Yeah, sure. You know, I actually studied political science and Spanish in college and moved to Washington, D.C. and got a job. I was not working on the Hill and most of those jobs back in that day were internships, so you didn't make any money. And I thought to myself, this isn't gonna, this isn't gonna be able to last that long. And I actually got my first job working in the Four Seasons regional sales office in a marketing role. And didn't know, thought I was gonna go to law school and ended up meeting a woman who worked at Booz Allen. And I didn't know anything about Booz Allen or consulting. And she gave my resume to her boss. And 10 interviews later, I had a job at Booz Allen. So I got into consulting. I traded law school in for business school. And I went to Kellogg, um, graduate school of business. And when I got there, I decided that while I loved management consulting, a lot of what I, what I was doing, I felt like ended up in a binder on a shelf, that it was very high level. And I wanted to feel that the recommendations I was making were were being implemented in a time frame where I could actually see it and feel the impact. And so when I was at Kellogg, I focused more on organizational behavior and strategy and really the people side of business. Got out of business school, went to work for a different consulting firm called the Hay Group in human resources consulting, worked at Russell Reynolds, recruiting heads of HR and all their direct reports, and so and did and did executive coaching. So all of my work really has been on the people side of business, which I describe as helping companies improve performance through people. And the last pivot to what I'm doing now happened, started to happen in 2009 when my family and I took a sabbatical and we moved to a mountain town in Colorado for a year. And I had to leave my coaching job because it was in person and I was living in Colorado Went to a, a lecture at the Aspen Institute and went to hear a woman speak by the name of Sherry Turkle, who had written a bunch of amazing books. I got in line. I bought her book. She signed it. And we went out for coffee. And the next thing I knew, we I helped her with her book and, and got exposed to the world of writing and speaking and decided to, to try it on my own. So here I am. So I think the moral of that story is it's really good for your career to buy books. That's the message that, that I want people to take away. So get us to, to this point. I know that your first book was Bring Your Human to Work. It was incredibly successful. And then you had the opportunity to write a second book. And as we all know, a second book is actually really challenging. A lot of people have a book in them, but to think about what they want to write about beyond that is often hard. So why and how did you go about writing Rituals Roadmap? It's funny, you're asking me that and you are going to have your fourth book about to come out, which you can share with the audience at the end. But I can't, at this point right now, I'm like getting that book number two out. I can't imagine what more I would have to say for, for three and four. But you're right. And I, you know, for me, equate it to, to having kids that, you know, you forget about some of the painful, the painful parts and you say, I'm never doing this again. And then you do it again. So I was out to dinner one night about a year after Bring Your Human to Work came out and I was with a friend and 
it's it's so funny thinking back now because she and I have a ritual. Once a month, we go out to the same restaurant that's Italian restaurant in the Upper West Side and have a glass of red wine. And we were, it was, it was one of those nights and we were having our wine. And all of a sudden we were talking about the book and ta- and, and it occurred to me in that moment that that the, that rituals are a tool of the human workplace. When I think about Bring Your Human to Work and all of the leaders that I interviewed, many of them were really leaning on rituals, whether it was how they got together to eat with their employees or take breaks or recognize and celebrate milestones and performance. And it was like literally this aha moment where, wow, rituals really are something that that are accessible to all of us and are a tool that whether you're the CEO or a manager of just, you know, one person or two people are something that we can have in our our tool belt to help us to create a better a better workplace for people and and for the bottom line as well. And so that's where it came about at an Italian restaurant with a glass of wine. During a ritual. I love it. I'd love to get like a really good working definition of the word ritual and you talk about in your subtitle how to transform everyday routines into magic. You know, how do you define a ritual and how is a ritual different from a routine or a habit? So there's a couple of ways, like pieces of the ritual definition that I tend to use. You know, the first is it's something in your in your life that if it didn't happen that day or that week or that month, something would just feel really off. Like there would be a void if it didn't happen. The second piece of the definition is it, a ritual is something that goes beyond its practical purpose. And what I mean by that, let's take lighting a candle as an example. You know, if, if I'm in my room right now and all of a sudden I lose electricity, the lights go out and I light a candle, I can now see, but that's not really a ritual. But if every Friday at five o'clock I light a candle to signify the end of the work week and the beginning of the weekend, there's almost this elevation and an assignment of meaning to that act. And it's much more, it's about much more than the light. And so those are the two pieces of the definition for me as I use it personally, as well as with the leaders with whom I, I spoke for the book. I love that. That's so clear. Brushing my teeth, you know, is not exactly a ritual to me. It's a habit. So I think that that special meaning of it is so powerful. Although um, interesting that you say say that because it could be. Could be. That, that it, Tell that me how to you, make brushing my teeth a ritual. Well, if you decide, it could be interesting for every, all the pe- people out there that have young kids to try to get their kids to, to, to finally brush their teeth to turn it into a ritual. But let's say that, you know, one of your goals this year was to maybe have some more time to meditate or to take a few deep breaths or to set an intention for the day. Like let's say you're thinking about your own values and your goals. You could say, you know what a great time to do that is when I'm, you know, brushing my teeth, you know, and almost piggybacking something that you're doing anyway, you know, with this ritual. And it's not that the teeth brushing per se would become the ritual, but the whole act in and of itself, all of a sudden, if you started doing that and 365 days later, 
it might feel weird that you didn't have that time to brush your teeth to take that deep breath or do whatever it is you know you decided to do. I love that because it, it it sort of also shows that you can turn something into a ritual, right? I'm thinking a bath, right? You could just kind of clean yourself or you can light a candle and have a glass of wine and read your favorite magazine and put on music and turn it into a ritual, which I think absolutely leads into this moment that we find ourselves in, which I can't believe we've gone this long without talking about the pandemic. You know, it's it's so top of mind and, and other things happening in, in politics in this country and so on. Why is this topic so important right now? And I just think you have written a book that is so timely for our moment. What is it about rituals that can really help us through this, this crisis or, or these many crises? So I handed in the manuscript for this book on March 30th, and we had been two weeks into quarantine. And it was a very, as I'm sure we all remember, I mean, it was just such an unsettling time. I mean, that's what we were wiping down groceries. We weren't taking, getting takeout. I mean, this was the beginning. And I handed in my book thinking to myself, oh my gosh. And as you know, somebody who's written four books, like, you know, I've been writing this book for a couple of years now thinking, what is going to happen? Like, is this book going to actually be published? You know, some of the numbers are different and the companies, hopefully they'll last and and be around after this pandemic. So the good news for me was that I had some time to process what was going on and to reach back out to many of the companies in the book before it was printed to see the impact of, of... this pandemic on their rituals. And what I heard across the board, both from friends, family, myself, you know, anybody who was willing to chat with me about rituals was that rituals really were stabilizing for them during these turbulent times. And there's science to back it up. So, you know, rituals do create order out of chaos that, you know, if you're going to do the same thing at the same time every day, especially with a sense of intention, it does lower your stress and it, and it can raise your oxytocin, your, your love, your feeling of, of your, of connection. And then I took it a step further and I, I took all the studies that I found and created an equation to, to boil it down to why rituals are really important for, for, for humans. And I call it the, the three P's of rituals. And so what do rituals give us? They give us a sense of psychological safety and a feeling of belonging. And that's the first P, psychological safety. Plus, it give us connection to purpose that rituals are a time when we can connect back to our own purpose and values, or if you're looking at this in the workplace with your team. And if you add those two together, it equals the third P, which is performance, higher levels of performance. And again, I, you know, there's team performance, there's company performance, there's individual performance, even if you're only looking at your, your stress level and how you're feeling in that, in that moment. And so especially when times are so turbulent, rituals can be a stabilizing factor in our lives. So when you reached out to some of those people you had interviewed originally and asked them how they had pivoted and how their rituals were were helping them through, what are some examples that you heard that really stood out to you? And I'm going to ask you a leading question because I'm a huge fan of your podcast. So I want to point you to the Daily Bill, which is one that I really remember. And there was something about learning Wednesdays, I think, from you to me. What what are some of your favorite examples of rituals specifically related to working remotely and, and kind of being in this pandemic situation? Yeah. Well, I, I do. Those those are two of my favorite examples as well. So I'll take Udemy to start. So I visited Udemy pre-pandemic. They have a very strong culture 
of having lunch together. And in Ritual's Roadmap, there's a whole chapter about what I call eatings. So there's meetings and then there's eatings and all the different ways that that these dif- different companies eat together. So it, it's funny thinking back, you know, when I visited Udemy, there's a huge cafeteria. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, when will we all eat family style out of big bowls in a cafeteria? I do not know probably not for the foreseeable future, but it was a big part of their culture. And in addition to everybody having lunch together every day, they also had something called lunch roulette, which was every other Thursday, anybody could opt in, raise their hand, and um, have lunch with four or five other people from Udemy in person on the company tab, and they'd all go out to lunch. It was great. So when I revisited and reached out to Kara Alamano, the head of human resources, and said, oh my gosh, you know, what's going on? Lunch is such a big part of your culture. What's going on right now? She said, without missing a beat, we have continued lunch roulette. People can opt in to have lunch. They try to group people within the same time zone. So one person's not having breakfast while the other one wants lunch. And the company pays for it. You can order lunch in and support your local favorite takeout place. And people would get on the Zoom and connect with each other. And one of the reasons why this example was so impactful when I heard her talk about it is that many of us are on Zoom for more hours than than we would like to um, admit these days. But my point is not every Zoom is created equal. That this lunch roulette it was there was an elevated sense of meaning and purpose behind it. So you didn't find people multitasking. You didn't find people, it wasn't a box check. It was, you know what, at 12 o'clock on this Thursday, I have lunch roulette. It's a connection back to you, to me, to my to the purpose, to the values of the company. And and people were showing up, you know, as themselves, but but were really focused. And so That to me was an amazing example, and we're going to have to think more creatively about continuing to do this, you know, over Zoom. Even when we start to go back, we're going to be in a hybrid situation, which is a whole other ball of wax. The second example with Bill Konigsberg at Horizon Media, and I I saw this with a few other CEOs, you know, when we think about rituals, one, we want to try to maintain old rituals. So lunch roulette when we talk about how rituals help us during turbulent times, this connection back to pre-COVID, there was this sense of safety and belonging for, for many of the Udemy employees. But it's also an opportunity to create brand new rituals. And that's what happened with, with Bill Konigsberg. Bill, like many CEOs, right when the pandemic started, there was a lot of communication. I feel like even now, you can't really over-communicate these days. And so CEOs, he was communicating in all hands, town halls, emails, all these different things. And then one day, he sent out an email to his employees, and he, and he called it the Bill Daily. And he gave a business update, but it was much more personal. And it well, you know, he, he ended it with, with a wish and a hope for his employees and words of wisdom. And it took off like wildfire. And he's been doing it every day. And when I spoke to him on my podcast, I I got such a laugh because he told me that a number of the employees were sharing these letters with their parents. And he was getting emails from their parents saying, oh my gosh, this is so great. So it was a new ritual, but it was a way for employees to feel more connected to him, more connected to the company. And it really did give them a sense of, of belonging and safety. 
I'm also struck, I love both of those examples, that naming seems to matter or naming the ritual. I think those are both great names. Lunch Roulette, The Daily Bill is yep. naming a part of a successful ritual. Yeah. And I think it's that it's the naming and the codifying because part of it is we have rituals, but we may not realize they're rituals. So the last chapter in the book is called Design Your Own Roadmap. And part of that is to map out where in the day you might already have rituals at work or at home. And and I think that realization of, wow, here's something that I'm doing and it it that codifying and the naming does help with that elevation and, and, you know, making it something sticky. Do you have any other personal rituals? I love the the one of, of dinner with your friend with the, the glass of red wine. Any other rituals that maybe you identified while you were writing the book that you hadn't realized were rituals or any other personal rituals that you would share with us? Well, my biggest ritual, which led to much of my professional journey in this speaking and book world is my daily trek to Starbucks to get my grande extra hot soy latte. And it's a ritual, you know, back to my definition, I can't imagine not having it, you know, not only not having coffee, but if I'm somewhere in the world where there's a Starbucks, I will, I will get there in any way, you no know, planes, trains, or anywhere in the world I, where there isn't a Starbucks. <laughs> well, yeah, probably, probably not. But I, I, you know, when we were, and you're a big traveler and speaker also, but I would book a hotel like near a Starbucks. So that to me, and, and what was interesting about that ritual was that, I, I I would get my coffee and I remember, you know, I would sit in Starbucks on the Upper West Side and I had my to-do list and I was feeling so productive. And and then one day it occurred to me that I didn't even taste the coffee and I was so sad because I really do look forward to it every morning. And so I really, it was this realization and a mindset shift to say, you know what, I'm going to slow down. I am going to get the coffee. I am going to pause. I'm going to feel before I start to drink it or do any work or whatever I'm doing, I am going to pause and I'm going to feel the heat of the coffee on my hands. You know, it's almost like a mini coffee meditation and like feel it going through my blood when I take that first sip. And so it really was this almost codification and this realization that, you know what, I do this every day. I enjoy it. You know, can't, you know, I guess the caffeine doesn't hurt either, but that intentional shift of making it a ritual has made it even more, even more meaningful. I'd love your thoughts. What that brings up for me is how many people during the pandemic missed their commute in a way that they hadn't realized they would because they would just do it and not really think about it. Have you heard people talk or, or have you studied at all how important the commute is? And, and I'm thinking Microsoft Teams actually added a virtual commute to the product because people were really missing it. So, you know, are we kind of learning during COVID some things that we didn't even realize we loved are really important to us, like that cup of coffee? A hundred percent. I remember a couple months in to the pandemic, I, I was seeing these videos of a couple of guys, like young 20-something guys, roommates in New York City, and they they made a video creating a commute in their apartment, like going into the subway, they would pull the shower curtain and they would go in. And it is, it's this sort of psychological process that that we want to get through. So I, yes, 100% agree. I'm also hearing a lot about and talking to people a lot about these transition rituals, which is like a commute. How do you transition from work to home when all you have to do is roll over from one room 
to the next room. And so, you know, whether it's, you know, deciding that you're going to go wash your hands, kind of wash away the workday and now you're home or putting your phone away in a drawer so that it's harder to get to when your, you know, kid comes home from, you know, virtual school. And so, yeah, I think we are rethinking so much about these rituals and and missing them. And it's going to it's going to be a really interesting year, you know, for both of us, since we both study the future of work, especially as some companies go back and others don't and what all of this looks like. So let's go there as we sort of perhaps go to more of a hybrid environment where some people are at home, some people are in the workplace. Do you have any thoughts or have you heard anybody talking yet about how to adapt rituals to that environment where we are working in very different situations from perhaps our colleagues? People are just starting to talk about it. I wouldn't say they're realizing yet that it's rituals that they need, but hopefully that will <laughs> After be my they read job. Your book, they will. The book, yes. They'll be like, that's what, that's what I need. But I do believe that, that those rituals are what's going to help help connect people. And actually, one company, I just interviewed David Siegel, who's the CEO of Meetup, and on my podcast last week, and he shared they're just starting this, or they're planning to start it in March. They're in the planning stages now of, you know, assuming everybody can be safe and socially distant, or, you know, maybe gets pushed back a little bit with the vaccine. But everybody was in the office. Now everybody's home. He's going to start by having, I can't remember if he said one Wednesday a week or one Wednesday a month, whatever it is, but very intentional to have a day where everybody gets together and begins to connect people. And so what I've been thinking about, even if people are in hybrid work situations where either you're part-time at work, part-time at home, or some decide to go in and some don't, which really worries me. It could be a whole other podcast. I think there's going to be a lot of challenges with that from an inclusion perspective. You know, I, I think there's a lot there. But rituals can, can begin to be that connection point, that equalizing point. I mean, maybe, could you imagine, Lindsay, let's say there's a day where you know, we're on a team and we have a call and and you're in the office and I'm at home. So maybe the head of that team says, okay, we're having our team meeting. Even though Lindsay and these four people are in the office, I want everybody to go to a different place in the, you know, in the space. So so there's not sort of this two-class system of the people that are together and the people that are, are at home. So I think rituals can help bring some structure to to how we're going to continue to connect but i'm not it'll be really interesting that also then raises the question of ending rituals right because some rituals that started during the pandemic will end and i'm thinking of the work of laura vanderkam who talks about ending streaks and uh, taking on meditation right as a new habit and i started to get so stressed about ending my daily meditation streak that it became less enjoyable because i was so worried about forgetting it and the advice that laura had was pick a number that feels really good and make that the end of that streak. And then you can start another one. And I thought that was such great advice. So at 500 days, I took a day off and said, okay, I'm going to start fresh. What's your advice to leaders on ending rituals in particular, whether we're going to end some of the ones that started during COVID as we hopefully get back more into a hybrid or or full-time in-person situation? I mean, ending rituals are really important, whether it's how you end your day, how you end your week, how you end a project. 
And so I do have a number of really cool and fun and interesting ending rituals in the book. One of my favorites is from a company called Go Health that has emergency care, healthcare centers all, all over the country. And they send out an email, someone from each center, there's like 140 some odd centers around the country, with a very simple end of day ritual. And they send an email to the head of the region and even the CEO is copied. It's actually really, really cool. And the head of HR. And, and it's, it's, how was your day? All they do is answer, how was your day? And they give an update and you can't imagine a day where you don't send that email. And it really gives people a sense of closure and a connection. And, and again, back to psychological safety. So but in terms of which ones are going to end, I think many of them will stay. I think we need to see see how things progress. But I go back to when I'm trying to f- think about a ritual that's going to end, a ritual that might start, a ritual that might change or be adapted to a new situation. It goes back to to values and saying, you know, does my calendar reflect my values? the values of this organization, where should my focus be? And, you know, I, th- I think that will give us the guidance to decide if a ritual should continue or if it's time for that for that streak to end. What else should listeners know about your book? What haven't we talked about that you wanted to share about Rituals Roadmap? Hmm. You know, rituals are, they don't have to cost anything. Rituals are accessible to anyone. Doesn't make it easy necessarily, but it takes intention and discipline to think about how you might incorporate rituals into your life personally, into your team, focus on rituals externally in terms of clients and business development. And so I think that's the beauty of it, that that they're accessible to all of us. I would also say that rituals are both top-down and bottom-up. It's not as if a leader listening to this can come in and say, okay, everybody, it's Monday morning. This is our new ritual. Now, he or she could try to do that. They will probably get a lot of eye rolls. That, that there's a stickiness and an organic and authentic nature to rituals that leaders need to be okay with moving on if, if something doesn't stick, and, and, that's, and that's okay. What has been the reaction, and this will be the last question about the book, and then I, I'm going to turn the tables on you and make you answer the questions that you always ask people at the end of your, your <laughs> podcast interviews. You knew that was coming. What has been the reaction to people when you tell them that you wrote a book about rituals? You know, it's not something that you hear every day. I think, again, the timing just could not be more perfect. But, you know, and there's something about that word that I think is really warm and really comforting. I would just love to know from being out there promoting it and interviewing people, what's the reaction when you tell people that you study rituals and that you're writing a book about it? People don't miss a beat and will say, oh my God, I'm obsessed with rituals. Oh my God, I do this as a ritual. My morning ritual. I mean, people just wake up, they get a big smile on their face. And within the last 10 months, they say, my rituals got me through this. And so I do think, as you know, you said in the beginning, when you kick this off, it is a time, it's a crazy time, and there's a lot of not only science, but, but stories and you know, a lot of focus on how these rituals have gotten people through these turbulent times. So I, you know, I think while I was so nervous back in March, having just handed it in, you know, I, I, you know, I certainly would not have wished this pandemic on anybody at any time and wish I could erase the whole thing. But 
but this topic of rituals more than ever seems to be top of mind. So I'm excited. I think it can really be helpful for people in their own lives and to increase engagement at work. On a personal level, since you told me about the book, I think I've been more mindful of naming things as rituals and taking comfort in them in a, a really beautiful way. So I think on a personal and a, a work perspective, I'm thinking now I'm, I'm in a, a rental house because of COVID getting out of the city. And I, I walk into the room that I'm using as an office and I, I raise the shades every morning. And, you know, my husband said, why are you doing that? You know, you, you can leave the shades open. I was like, no, it's my ritual. That that means I'm coming to work when I raise the shade right. and I'm leaving work when I close the shade. I don't think I would have described it or experienced it in that way. And now I come to really cherish that moment. So I think the word is really powerful. And there's comfort, right? There's comfort in that of raising them. I and mean, though that's your beginning and ending ritual. I love that. That's my commute. <laughs> That's my commute, commute on the, on the shades. <laughs> so Erica Keswin, author of Rituals Roadmap. Well, first tell people where they can get the book and any information about the book, and then I'm going to give you a speed round. Okay. So you can find the book wherever books are sold, but check out my website, which is my name, ericakeswin.com, and there's a bunch of links to different places to buy the book. You'll be hearing this. Anybody listening today, it's going to be January 26th, and in the month of January, anybody that buys a book and sends me an email with a proof of purchase, I am going to gift a book to someone in your life and, and pay it forward. So check that out. Check, you know, I'm excited for you to know, keep listening to the podcast and, and be in touch. That's fantastic. Anyone who buys a book gets a book gifted. That sounds like a beautiful ritual. Are you ready for your Left Around Devices speed round? Um, yeah, I think so. All right. Erica, what are you binging? What TV shows and books are on your list right now? So I am watching The West Wing with <gasps> one of my uh, 17-year-old daughters. And I really wish, especially with what's going on this month, that we had President Bartlett to come in and save the day. It is such a great show. I am loving it. I rewatch that show about once a year. So I'm a huge fan of The oh, West wow. Wing and watching it as <laughs> often as possible. And how about any books that are on your nightstand or on your Kindle? Oh my God. You know, I am a big reader. I have had trouble during COVID reading, which has kind of bummed me out. And I've been, you know, writing so much. So there's not one, but I read The Vanishing Half. I would say like when I can get a good fiction book that that sucks me in. And I read Rodham both in the last few months, Ooh. which I loved. So I, I need books that sort of take me out of my day-to-day and where I was usually reading tons of nonfiction, this time I just needed a couple of good fiction books. I love that. Both great books. My brother said he only is reading or watching things that he describes as delightful. He said, that's the barrier. If it's delightful, I can watch it during COVID. So uh, and his favorite of that is Ted Lasso. He said that was, oh that was the bar. Was I loved it. Delight. I loved I was obsessed with Ted Lasso, trying to get my kids to watch it. I loved it. Oh, they would love it. Yeah. They would love it. I'm, I'm doing the Bridgerton thing. I've, I've started binging Bridgerton. Shonda oh, Rhimes okay. is good. Good in a crisis. Second question <laughs> is, tell us something that we can't find out about you from your LinkedIn profile. I don't think it's on there. I was a gymnast for, I mean, almost, let's see, probably 15 years of gymnastics. I can still do a pretty good handstand at age 52. I can still do a pretty, I think that should be your Twitter profile bio. I can still do a pretty good handstand at 52. I love it. Last question, Erica. When do you feel most human? When do you feel most yourself? I love that question on your podcast. And I'm really curious what your answer is. 
the people that have known me, you know, whether it's in grammar school, high school, business school, working, my professional life, people like you, you know, what's one word that you would you people use to describe me? They often say the word connector. And so I would think I was born to just make connections. So when I'm doing that, when I'm introducing you to somebody that you should meet for an interview or for a book or for a client, and I make that connection, or in Yiddish, I guess it's shidach, like I just get such a rush. And, you know, and I've set up a few marriages on the side as well. So that's when I feel most like me. As someone who has been the recipient of that gift of yours, I'm very grateful. You are one of the most generous, thoughtful people professionally and personally that I know. Thank you for being willing to turn the tables and be interviewed yourself. The book is Rituals Roadmap, The Human Way to Transform Everyday Routines into Workplace Magic. Thank you, Erica Keswin. Thank you so much for being here, Lindsay. I couldn't ask for a better person to interview me. Thank you for tuning in this week to Left to Our Own Devices. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. If you want to receive my monthly newsletter, text the word HUMAN to 66866. Or you can connect with me by email at erica at spaghettiproject.com. Stay safe, stay connected, and I'll see you next time.